0: Fan America Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Bajarski, and, and let me tell you, guys, I am stoked for this week's episode. This week, I interview Nate Bucati, lead commentator for Sporting Kansas City in Major League Soccer, and I wanted to interview Nate because I find commentary fascinating. The men and women who lend their voices to this game become such an important part of how we as fans consume it. So I wanted to dive into what it is like to lend your voice to the coverage of a game, how iconic calls come to be and and the false belief that you have to have a british accent in order to cover this game nate was super generous with his time and his stories and and i think you all will enjoy listening to them as much as i did so without further ado here is my interview with nate Bukaty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Uh, Excited to uh, introduce you to our guest this week. He is uh, probably a familiar voice uh, to many attuned MLS fans. He is the lead commentator for Sporting Kansas City and uh, host of 810 WHB Kansas City Sports Radio, as well as a play-by-play commentator for Fox Sports for MLS and international soccer coverage. It is a true honor to have Nate Bucati joining us this week. Nate, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Mark, thanks a lot for having me. This is uh, this is going to be fun.
0: Yeah. So um, first off, just right off the bat, i got to ask you a question. Um, is there, in your opinion as a professional, anything more certain or more beautiful than seeing Graham Zussi pick up the ball about a yard outside of the box <laughs> with a little bit of space?
1: Yeah, I mean, that certainly um – I don't know about certain, but, but it's, it's one of the more hopeful moments uh, in life. <laughs> I feel like these days, you, you, you know, the thing about it too is that now when you see him in those moments and the defenders back away from him, you I just find myself thinking, haven't they watched this guy? <laughs> don't they realize that, uh, that he's dangerous from there, but uh, it's, uh, it's certainly a beautiful thing to see. And um yeah, I've had some calls that have, that have gotten, some, uh, gotten some replays that uh, I didn't expect to see over and over again because of it. So I, I think I owe Graham Zusi a big thank you letter at the end of his career.
0: <laughs> well, we will get on to that, uh, those calls in particular shortly. But um, yeah, I, I just think like, I don't know, maybe as the kids say these days, he may not score a lot, but he does score absolute bangers. There's just yeah. no in-between yeah. with that guy now. 10 of them so, from
1: outside the penalty area in his career.
0: Just insane consistency. Uh, and from that exact same spot, obviously the the crazy goal against San Jose that started it all. And then just this last week uh, against Nashville, um, it's just, it's a thing of beauty. But um, Nate, like I said, we want to uh, talk a little bit about your fandom um, the podcast is all about American soccer fans, the uniqueness of it, um, since we're all um, adopted children of the game here. So if you would just kind of walk us through where did uh, soccer, if anywhere in your life, play a role early on and how did you come to it?
1: Yeah, it's um, I guess anybody that you ask that question to in America could probably tell you a pretty long story. And I, I've, I've been certainly accused of, of uh, telling long stories in my life. But honestly, I don't know how to tell the whole story without kind of telling a long story because I I feel like soccer is a sport that was kind of just in and out of my life until about 2006 when it really, that's when it became crystal clear to me that it was my favorite sport um, beyond everything else. Um, I bounced around a lot as a kid from the inner city to the suburbs to a small town in Southern Kansas, back to the inner city. Um, when I lived in the suburbs in Johnson County from first grade through fourth grade, I played a lot of soccer, as you might imagine, you know, it was Johnson County's been a pretty big soccer community in Kansas city ever since I was a kid. And, and all my friends that lived there, we, we played a lot of soccer and we went to tons of Kansas city Comets games. And uh, I had a decent amount of success with the sport and had a lot of fun with it. Um, but then, you know, my parents got divorced and I moved to a small town in Southern Kansas where Soccer, as you might imagine, wasn't exactly a big thing. Moved back to Kansas City, Kansas, in the inner city Catholic school area um, from seventh grade through high school, and soccer wasn't really a big thing there either. My junior year of high school, I was a really undersized little guy that could run kind of fast, and uh, I had some buddies that were playing soccer. I was trying to do football, which was silly uh, for a guy my size, honestly, and um, they said, you're little and you can run why don't you play basketball or soccer and so I really I, I played soccer my junior and senior year of high school at Bishop Ward just to get in shape for for basketball season to be perfectly honest and I really loved it and had a lot of fun all Huron League by the way which uh, I think we had three teams <laughs> in the league so I don't know how how much bragging I could really do about that but we didn't even really have a real coach I mean our coach was kind of reading out of a textbook just trying to figure out how to you know, get us all kicking the ball in the right direction. So I was never really formally coached, you know, at the club level or anything like that in soccer, um, you know, played a little bit in murals in college, that type of thing. Um, when the world cup in 94 happened. And then again, in 98, I, I really got, I, I got into those. Um, I happened to study, uh, not study abroad, but I had a girlfriend in 1998, my senior year of college, who studied abroad and she studied in Paris and, um, I happened to scrounge up enough money to get a plane ticket to go visit her. I had a free place to stay. I'd never been out of the country before in my life. I think the most exotic place I'd ever been at that point in my life was Chicago. Um, You know, and I... So I went to Paris, and that was March of 1998, three months before the World Cup was in, in France, and they had stuff up all over the city, billboards, and I bought like a lot of postcards and things like that that had players on them. And... um, and so I, I really kind of adopted France as a team to cheer for in the 98 World Cup. Thierry Henry played on that team. He was an 18-year-old, and I, and I was pretty fascinated by him. And so that kind of will come around to one of the teams I cheer for later. But honestly, I still, you know, I, I still didn't follow soccer closely at that point in my life. I watched the World Cup in, when it came to town. Um, I got into my broadcasting career, was doing baseball, basketball, football, college sports, and, and major league baseball. And, um, I was traveling with the Royals in 2006 and I was kind of realizing that traveling in major league baseball and covering that sport from a day in day out basis was not something I, I really wanted to do the rest of my life. Um, I was kind of, It was kind of dawning on me. I was I was single at the time. But it was dawning on me that if I ever wanted to have a family, it just wasn't going to be the lifestyle that I wanted to lead. And um, at the exact same time, the World Cup in Germany was taking place. And because I was traveling with the Royals, I didn't have to be at the ballpark till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And the games in the World Cup were early in the day so I could watch them all. And I went out and I bought a Poland jersey because my grandparents on my dad's side were from Poland. They were very, very proud Polish. And I know by your last name, I'm guessing by your hand gesture that uh, you share that heritage. So I rooted for the Polish team that, that World Cup, and I just got absolutely hooked. And that was when it really hit me that, man, I love this sport, and I don't want to wait for four years to watch it again. And I would... You know, look at that time I watched, I I would maybe go to one or two wizards games a year. I'll admit, I was not the most diehard wizards fan. Um, I, I just, you know, it didn't seem that serious to me. I I hate to say it. I I wish I could go back in time and, and really watch all those teams play. Um, but I would go to a game or two a year, you know, and I, I, I liked it, but I wasn't like following the team super closely, but in 2006, I was really hooked. And, um, I decided I need, you know, and that was about the time that some of the European leagues were really becoming televised and accessible in America. So I decided I needed to pick a team or two in, in Europe that I really wanted to watch. And, I, and that was how I kind of started to learn the, the construct of the whole club and country soccer setup in Europe and all the different competitions you can play in. And the first team I picked was Celtic because they had a Polish goalkeeper named Artur Boruch, They called the holy goalie. And I just thought that was perfect as a guy that was raised as a Polish Catholic. And he was this Polish Catholic that played for Celtic. And I studied the history of Celtic and their roots with the, you know, the, the Catholic church and all that stuff. And um, they also had a forward named Magic Jarowski, who was a Polish guy too. So I, I, I just said, well, that's my team. I, I really rooted for them. And I bought the Celtic TV package and I watched every game online. And, um, but it also through that process became kind of apparent to me that, while I loved Celtic and it was really fun watching them play outside of the Rangers games. And at that time they were playing in the champions league every year, outside of those games, the competition in Scotland was not the best. I mean, the league was just not great. And uh, it was becoming apparent to me that the, the best soccer in the world was being played in England. And, uh, I had always kind of paid attention a little bit to Thierry Henry because of that connection to the 98 world cup. And so I, I started watching the English Premier League games, and you know, they, Henri was still playing at Celtic, and they were, they were, um, they were playing that really beautiful style of play that Arsene Wenger had kind of introduced to the English Premier League. And I just thought, man, this is the kind of team I want to watch—a team that's really aesthetically pleasing and uh, had really creative players, and had, you know, had a good history, but wasn't like the the Manchester United were kind of the Yankees of the of the Premier League at the time. And I didn't want to pick a team like that. So I picked Arsenal, and so those were the two teams I would watch. Um, This is kind of a fun story for you, and I hope I'm not talking your ear off too much here, but um, not at all. So 2007, um, Celtic came and played against the MLS All Stars in Colorado, and by that point in time, I had known Rob Thompson for a long time, and he knew that I was at least you know a a guy in sports media in Kansas City that that appreciated soccer, even if I wasn't. uh, as knowledgeable as, uh, as as maybe the experts would be. So he was always really good to me and, and would try to talk to me every once in a while about getting players on our show, on my morning show, and things like that. And so I reached out to him to see if there was any access I could get if I went out to Colorado to watch Celtic play. Maybe I could do some interviews, I could meet Archer Boric, I could do these things. And and, and the Wizards, you know, they were the Wizards playing. They were still playing at the minor league you know, baseball stadium at that time. In fact, I think that was right about the time they moved to the minor league baseball stadium. I could be off by a year or so. And um, I went out there and the guys from the Wizards just rolled out the red carpet for me. They took me to all the VIP parties. They They showed me a really good time. I got to meet some of my favorite Celtic players and Got tickets to the game and I went out got drunk with a bunch of Celtic fans after the game that I made friends <laughs> with. This one little old guy named Ronnie Berry that I'm still friends with to this day. He he had you know, he was an old man with like like grayer hair than me and he had so it was like white hair and he had green stripes painted in his hair <laughs> I up and introduced myself to him and we ended up becoming friends with them and going. And, and my wife and I went and visited uh, them in Scotland and went to a Celtic match oh, and the place and all this stuff at a one night of drinking with them in Colorado, you know, um, they were really, they were really cool to me. But through that whole experience, I, I, um, the guys that, you know, the, 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 ongo on-goal people, you know, Cliff Illig and Neil Patterson and Pat Coran and, um, Greg Madej and, and those guys had a whole, just bought the team and were, you know, cooking up some big ideas. And, and they took in, and, and some of the guys that worked in the front office at the time took me out while we were in Colorado and really just told me about who these, I didn't know, I didn't even know what Cerner was at the time. I have to confess, but they, they sold me, like, these guys got money, they've got vision. They're going to do some things. They're really going to turn this into a big deal in Kansas city. And I, and I, they sold me, I was like this, I'm in, you know, so I became a season ticket holder at that time. And, uh, and then, you know, they would take me out and show me the blueprints of the stadium and walk me through as they were building the stadium. And the more they did, the more excited I got. And I, I was still a, a Celtic and Arsenal fan, but it became a situation where all of a sudden it was like, you know, especially when they rebranded and everything, I mean, sporting's my number one team. Right. And then Celtic and, and Arsenal are still fun to watch, but, um, and that, and that's kind of it. And I, and I just kind of, I've just fallen more and more and more in love with the game. The more I've uh, spent time around it. And I honestly, as a guy that just was a fan um, for so long, I kind of, I still consider myself a fan more than even a commentator. I pinch myself with the fact that I, that I get to spend time around guys like Benny Failhober and Matt Beazler and Graham Zusi and Seth Sinovic and, all these guys that I watch play in the world cup and all that stuff. And I, I mean, honestly, I can't believe that I can sit there and like say that I hang out with those guys, you know, and, uh, they probably still think it's pretty nerdy of me that I get so excited to get to, but I am, I mean, I'm just like, those guys are incredible players and I was a fan and, um, it's kind of cool to get to work around them nowadays, you know? So there's your, there's your long story.
0: Yeah, no, uh, that's, that's an incredible story. Um, <laughs> very few people one get to like go and watch their favorite European team in the flesh, much less in America. But then also to to go through all that is just hilarious. Getting to meet somebody <laughs> and then stay with them and and yeah. get so connected to the to that time Kansas City Wizards as a result. Um, so there were a couple things there though I wanted to to come back to. The first thing um, you talked about was. Um, that there was increased access and that's that's a I think a pretty important part of the American fandom uh, is access so Mm -hmm. access to the the European leagues especially but also just like getting broadcasts of MLS like it there was not always very good access to um, MLS uh, especially in its early days so so, as somebody within uh, the broadcasting world, how important is it, and how much have you seen the growth of the game just because of you know uh, companies like ESPN having their ESPN Plus service and having access to the Bundesliga and Liga, and then now Paramount Plus and Serie A, and obviously the impending Apple deal, or I guess it's it's happened, but the Apple yeah. uh, season uh, coming up next year. So, what what is that? from your perspective, look like? And how has that affected the way that people have access to?
1: Well, I mean, I can only really speak from my own personal experience. And it, it was massive. Um, the ability to see all of these leagues and see all of these competitions is what allowed me to learn how the sport works and to see it being played at the highest level. And it just, like I said, the more, I got access to those things, the more interest I've grown in the sport. And um, I would assume that that's, that's got a lot to do with uh, the growing popularity of the sport in this country. I mean, I think for, you know, for the longest time, um, Americans didn't really get drawn to soccer because they didn't see it as an American sport. It's, it's everybody else's game, not ours. Um, the fact that we have a, a real viable professional league in this country um, I think that also now participates in the marketplace of global soccer where guys come here from big leagues, guys leave here and go to other big leagues. Um, I think it gives a legitimacy to the league that makes you realize like, hey, this this league's not a joke. You know, these guys are good. I still think we have a long way to go to convincing a lot of America about that. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think absolutely. I know it's, it was huge for me. And I think it's been big for a lot of people. And, and I think that also what I'm seeing, and I can tell you this is another anecdotal story, working at the radio station, when we get interns coming through now, it's not all of them, but I would say the majority of them, they consider soccer. Even if they're not big fans, they, they, they have friends that watch it. They know about it. They know they, they take it seriously. Um, whereas 10, 20 years ago, nobody in sports talk radio knew anything about soccer. I mean, it was like, that's why Rob Thompson reached out to me because I was like the one guy in Kansas city on the radio that even, that even gave a darn or or took it seriously. And I I don't, I think the generations is coming up, you know, behind me. That's just part of the sports landscape that, you know, I don't think it's any different to them really than the other big sports in the United States right now, because it's all accessible to them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for me, my, and my fandom personally, you know, the dawn of uh, NBC's coverage of the premier league has coincided mm-hmm. with just uh, skyrocketing in my fandom because the access, the, mm-hmm. the production quality, all of it just went through the roof. Um, you know, not that ESPN and others hadn't done a decent job uh, in the, uh, before them, but NBC just, it seemed like it took it to another level and it was, it was readily available on their, you know, big NBC network um, at least one game a weekend was, you know, on big NBC. Mm-hmm. And that was huge. It wasn't, you know, uh, stashed away in, you know, some small closet of NBC's massive, you know, uh, group of channels, but but on big NBC. And, and that was huge. And now, you know, like we said, ESPN Plus, Paramount Plus, Apple, all of those streaming services now have, you know, a, an immense amount of, of content on them that is soccer-related. And they do varying degrees of production quality but but it's accessible and it's it makes access to those leagues and the growth and maturity in the game uh, exponentially greater the other thing I, I wanted to, to hit on there is um, another theme I, I've seen you you kind of recounted your fandom in intervals of World Cups um, in yeah. 2006 and then um, again in, in 2010 98 um, and then obviously, in 2014 when you had Matt Beasler and Graham Zusi um, on that squad. So um, how important do you think World Cups are and what are some, maybe some moments from those World Cups that you remember that really stuck with you?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I believe strongly that the success of professional soccer in the United States is more dependent on the success of the United States national team than any other country in the in the world that I can think of. Um, because, you know, you, you look at it, for example, Italy fails to qualify for the World Cup. It's not going to damage the sport of soccer in Italy in terms of its popularity. Everybody's still going to go to the Aventis games. You know, everybody's still going to be a fan of Roma. <laughs> That's a fan of Roma. I, I, and if England ever missed out on the World Cup, that sport isn't going to be damaged by the popularity there. But in the United States, I think it's very different for a couple of reasons. And and one is, um, let's be honest, the the average American is like I used to be. They watch the World Cup, and that's about it. They don't even watch the qualifiers, right, for the national team. They only know about the qualifiers when the United States doesn't qualify, like happened four years ago. And all of a and, and the thing about America, you know, Patton said it, but America loves a winner. You know, they they they're not really interested in losers, and so I think as long as the United States isn't also ran in soccer on a global level, many Americans will always view it as a sport that's not really worthy of consideration. And I think that honestly, I, that's one of the things that excites me so much about this World Cup cycle, and of course the one coming in 2026 is I actually think we'll have the type of team that can contend. Now, will they go win a world cup? It's really, really hard to win a world cup, you know, even for the great teams. But I think even just being a team that can go out there and play toe to toe with the biggest clubs in the world. I think we're getting close to being able to do that. I thought we showed that against Uruguay um, here in town. I think it's going to change the way a lot of people look at the sport and how seriously they take it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, and when you ask about memories, um, You know, 94, I remember the own goal, um, you know, that uh, from Colombia by uh, um, Andres Escobar. Um, I just remember watching the games with my friends and learning about guys like Todd Ramos and Alexi Lalas a little bit. Uh, 98, I, I just remember, I rem- the biggest moment I remember was a goal by Lillian Taram uh, who I found out the other day, was Nicolas Isimat Mirin's favorite player growing up. And I have a postcard that I bought of Lillian Téram when I, when I was over there that I, I it was, this actually reminds me, I told him I was going to send him a picture of it. Um, but he scored a goal from about 35 yards out on a bounce. And then he landed on his knees and he just went like this to the crowd. And that for whatever reason is the biggest snapshot I have of them. When And then I just remember the scenes on the Champs-Élysées of all the, the French fans. Um, the it would have been would it have been 06 the the Landon Donovan goal against Algeria um uh, that was 10 that was 10 um i was at the 8 10 zone in leewood for that one going crazy and i, I mean obviously no no american fan's going to going to forget that one um and and obviously like at the oh, oh, 06 would have been the head would that have been the headbutt uh, the, the Zidane headbutt on, uh, 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 yeah. in the final, I re- obviously remember that. Um, so uh, you know, you have all these snapshots of, of, things that you recall through the course of it. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't wait for November, honestly. I think there's going to be some great moments down in the power and light district too, with just the biggest crowds we could imagine, you know? And, uh, so I, I can't wait for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. the, the Donovan moment is one that comes up regularly is one of those like crystallizing moments, especially mm-hmm. for, for fans of my vintage. It was uh, to see such an underdog US team. And I mean, everybody mm-hmm. always thinks you're in a group of death, but to have England in your group and, and then like an upstart Algeria, like um, just a, a little bit of a, I don't know, a very satisfying moment to be able to get out yeah. of that group. And that moment in particular, just... Um, the, I mean, the, the three big guys in that move are, are Howard and then Dempsey and then Donovan. And for a lot of us, you know, that was our first, our first real taste of what those guys were going to be and were, but, but would go on to be. Um, so yeah, that, that moment lives large in my mind, but, um, on the topic of world cups, and since we have, um, a Kansas city native and, uh, a big. Name in the Kansas City broadcasting area. Uh, News came out this month uh, that Kansas City has been selected as a host city for the 2026 edition. So um, from your perspective, um, what does Kansas City bring? Why was it chosen over, say, Denver or D.C., Baltimore, like some of those other uh, potential cities? And uh, what should fans be expecting if they go to visit Kansas City for whatever games we end up with.
1: Well, the reason that Kansas City got it is because we wanted it more. Honestly, I mean that—that's what—that's the easiest way to boil it down, and that's just the truth. Uh, and and look, um, there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, these uh, some of these other cities they got more they they've got more on their plate than than necessarily we do. They're bigger markets, you know. Um, They're bigger tourist destinations. Um, for us, I think it was a bigger deal to get something like this. But I also think it's, you know, we have this amazing sense of civic pride in this town that I think a lot of other cities don't really have. I think that that translates even to the people that run the city, you know, people that work at the Kansas city sports commission and visit KC and the mayor. And, um, you know, the, the, the big money people like cliff fillig, who, I mean, that was, I, I was, I got to spend some time with cliff, uh, the night of the announcement. And I mean, the smile on that man's face was as big, maybe bigger than the fans that I was with. And I, and I walked around and tried to high five every single person I could in the power and light after the announcement, because I wanted to connect with people and like, you know, share the joy with every person there. I knew it meant as much to them as it did to me. And, um, but Cliff was that happy too, because he loves Kansas city as much as we do. And when people like that throw their weight behind something, and, uh, and and I just got to be honest with you, everything I've seen Cliff Illig throw his weight behind, he, he, he brings people into the fold that are passionate, that are motivated, that take pride in what they do. And those were the people that ran this bid. I mean, it was good. I could run down the list of names, and you've probably heard them all before, but they're good quality people that take a lot of pride in Kansas City and take a lot of pride in what they do. And they just did a great job. I mean, they, they just absolutely wowed FIFA and and I think it was easy for FIFA to see this town will do their absolute best to put on the best show possible, um, and and that's what's going to happen. You know, I think in these other cities, you know, they go to New York, they need to be in New York, but New York's going to be like, yeah, cool, you guys are here. We got a lot of other stuff going on too. You know, here in Kansas City, everybody in Kansas City be like, this is the biggest deal, and we're going to make sure that you guys have a great time. I think FIFA was pretty lured by that. And in terms of what it's going to do. It's going to change the overall sports landscape of this town for for decades to come. How much? So, I mean, I don't even think I have a full grasp on that. Um, but you know, for, for, for three to four weeks in June of 2026, this town's going to be absolutely taken over by the world cup. And it's going to be unlike anybody, anybody in this town's ever seen before. They won't, they won't have ever seen anything like this before. So, um, it's, uh, (laughs) it's hard to put into words. It's hard to put into words. And I think even people like us that really love the sport and, and feel like we know what it's, what it's going to do for this town. I don't think we'll fully know until it gets here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, as very exciting, obviously uh, watching the broadcast and when they said Kansas city, I mean, just my heart leapt, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I grew up, um, hearing stories and watching you know how big and how meaningful uh, the 94 world cup was still the most like monetarily successful uh world cup to ever um and that was a country that barely knew soccer at all mm-hmm. and now you fast yeah. forward and in 2026 i think it will be uh it will be record breaking in many regards and to have Kansas city be a part of that. I'm a Missouri guy and Kansas city through and through. So, um, it, it meant an immense amount to see that, uh, and all yeah. that passion, like you said, and hard work pay off. Cause I mean, it, there's all those guys behind the scenes, all the big movers and shakers, but even, you know, uh, average citizens on the ground, um, with the signs, the shirts, you know, I mean, really signing the petitions, like, uh, it, it's such a cool thing to see play out, but um, you know, we're, we'll transition here. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, talk to you about commentary about the voices that have shaped soccer and specifically American soccer. So um, the first question I wanted to get at is just this idea that um, soccer needs an accent. And, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. there has been a pervasive, I think, um belief even among some american fans that it's just not legit unless you've got specifically a british accent um who's doing uh, the play-by-play so uh, you know americans can have the color commentary but the play-by-play you know it's got to be a british guy so um how what was it like breaking through um into soccer commentary um in an environment maybe less so in kansas city but certainly um across the world that that had that belief and do you think that that still exists and to what degree well
1: um for me i i guess i'll say first that i'm very grateful that i've never really been afraid to get out of my comfort zone Hmm. um and i i shouldn't say i haven't been afraid because there's fear involved but i've never been unwilling uh, to get, I, in fact, I, I enjoy it. I've I've taken up doing mixed martial arts here over the past year, and I have less experience with that than I do with soccer, and I'm really loving that too. I'm having a great time with it. I'm learning a ton, and you know, people can dislike Jurgen klinsman all they want, but he was right about something that you grow when you get out of your comfort zone. That's just the truth in life, and. I look back, honestly, eight years ago when I started this, and I'm a little glad that I, I wasn't as afraid as I probably should have been <laughs> to do this. You know, it was quite a career pivot for me. Um, but I was like, I mean, I've been watching soccer since 2006. I listen to these guys all the time. I think I could do this, you know. Um, and I thought I knew the game at that time. And what, but, but I'll tell you a great story. I think you'll appreciate this. My first year on the job was Sporting Kansas City. Uh, we were in, we were still training at that time, preseason in, uh, I think we were still in Orlando, but Rob Thompson came up to me in preseason. Maybe it was there. It was Tucson. I beg your pardon. It was Tucson, but, um, he came up to me and said, Hey, I, I blocked off a couple hours this afternoon after training for you to hang out with Peter Vermees, um, in his, in his suite. And I was like, Oh, wow, that's pretty <laughs> cool. Um, all right. Uh, You know, and he said, "Well, just, you know, you guys get to know each other. You can ask them whatever you want, you know, um, learn about the team, et cetera. So I go up to his hotel room and, and it, in that time, his hotel room was a suite. So his, the other room in the suite was like his, his office. And he had a big dry erase board with like a magnet board with a soccer field on it. And the, you know, little like red, red magnets here and the black magnets here. And he sat me down and he said, "Um, you have a really important job for our club and for our sport. And I sat up, I was okay. And, you know, Peter is a very intense guy, as you know, and he, and he, <laughs> and he said, um, you know, we have a problem with our sport in this country. And it's the fact that most Americans don't understand the game. So when they watch it, they see 22 guys jogging around a field, kicking a ball for no particular reason. And, um, they need, they need to be taught the game. Um, in a way that helps them understand that it's so much more than that. There's so much happening in a game. And it's such a beautiful game uh, because of all of the things that are happening and all the ideas and ways that it can be played and ways it can be expressed and the way players express themselves on their cultures, on the field and all this stuff. And uh, and he said, you know, in, in American football, they do this tremendous job of, their commentators know the game and they explain the game and they diagram this incredibly complicated American sport where the fans don't even really know what the play is when it's getting called, um, and yet the fans feel like they understand it and they can get their arms around it and that's why they love it. And you need, we need announcers in this country that can do that for soccer. And um, mostly, we have Ameri- if we have Americans calling it, they don't know the game that well, and so they aren't communicating it in a way. It helps our fans understand it on a deeper level. So you need to learn this game better. You need to know this game. You need to understand it and then communicate it to the audience. And I said, Well, gosh, okay. And he said, So what do you need to know? <laughs> and <laughs> and he sat there for two hours and he went through all this stuff. And by the way, he wasn't going to teach me everything I needed to know in two hours. I found out that I've, you know, for eight years I've been learning. But but that's what's incredible to me about a person like Peter Vermees is He has always been generous with his time, and you can imagine what a busy guy he is, but he makes time for me. We have had, I mean, I don't know how many hundreds of hours of conversations about the game and the way he talks about players and the way he talks about the culture of the club, the way he talks about the things he values, the way he talks about how other teams approach the game. Um, And then I get to spend time around guys like Benny Failhaber and Elie Sanchez, and these are guys that are philosophers when it comes to the sport. They love the sport because they see the game at a deeper level than I do. I mean, I honestly, I think about like when you think about those piano virtuosos that just understand music at a level that you you don't feel like you could grasp. And I've been lucky enough to play old man soccer with Benny Failhaber and, and, and like witness it with him. Like, Oh my gosh, this is what it's like to play with a guy who not only technically can play at a higher level, but sees the game. So he sees all 22 guys on the field at all times. And he has all these ideas and he's, telling you about what people should be doing and um, when you get to have these conversations you start to learn the game and I'm not gonna sit here and, and, and pretend that I am the kind of expert at soccer that I need to be even. But I will say that my understanding of the game is so much deeper after eight years of this than it was even at the beginning. And and I and I feel like I'm just gonna be pursuing my knowledge of the game for the rest of my life. I feel like any you know any any pursuit, you start to realize I'm never gonna know it all. You know, and, I, and I'm going to constantly be learning um, as, I, as I go through the journey of it. But um, I do think there are a lot more Americans now uh, that, that understand the game, just like there are more. I mean, like when I look at the technical level of the players in our league now um, and their understanding, their tactical awareness. I mean, that was one of the knocks on American players when they would go to Europe in the past was, yeah, they're great athletes, but tactically they don't understand this sport. You know, they don't they don't understand what they're supposed to be doing. Because, because they hadn't been trained the same way. These guys are coming up in the sporting Kansas City system now. They're learning the game of soccer. Yeah. And you see them go over to Europe and and now, and like I, I know Elie told me this after he had gone home to Barcelona to be with his dad a couple years ago. He came back and told me you know, a place like Barcelona would have never considered Americans. And now they want to know where the good young Americans are and what they're in are And they're interested in them. Um, I think all of us are just learning the game at such a higher level now. Um, and there are a lot, and I think it translates to the commentators as well. I, I do still think there, there are some biases um, by some people and sometimes people that are in charge of the hiring and all that stuff, you know? Um, but, uh, but I also think that that's, that's, that's continually evolving and changing is, hopefully more of us are doing a job that people look around and go, Hey, that guy actually, he gets it. He understands the game. He appreciates it and, and communicates it the right way. And I hope to, you know, I hope to be one of those guys. I do. Cause it means a lot to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think um, 2018 really stands out to me as kind of a watershed moment for the American commentator, um, uh, the 2018 world cup, you know, Fox has the, the world cup that year. Uh, has it has had it will have it for the next uh, as well but um but to have guys like john strong and Stu holden being your mm-hmm. lead broadcasters for that tournament and mm-hmm. you know there was a obviously a, a good representation for the studio crew but you know mm-hmm. you had guys like you know twelman and others who uh who lent their voice to the the analytics side of it and to um you know to the halftime and, and the post game and the pre game stuff like that but to have the the play by play and the color commentator um your lead commentators be American voices was like the first time um for an American audience that that was the case and and even like I loved that you know guys like uh Steve Cagliosi, um New York Red Bulls uh play by play got uh, games in that tournament and and he brought his own you know uh twist to Uh, to how to call those games that rubbed some people the wrong way, but like it was unique. It was an American uh, perspective or interpretation of the, of the, the role. So I I agree. I I think that still exists. And then from a fan perspective with no insider knowledge, um, it seems to exist still at some of the bigger um, broadcasters, but it is cool to see the, uh, see many embracing more American voices. And, and I think that's important because the the growth of the game I think is going to be um, is going to be affected greatly by just the representation like Americans hearing Americans talk about the game um, it helps bring that idea that this is somebody else's game um, it pushes that away and it brings it back to like no this is our game and we're gonna do it the way that we're gonna do it and may not make everybody happy but but that's that's us and uh, and that's exciting so to get to hear you know voices like John Strong, Stu Holden, um, Taylor Twelman, you know, yourself, uh, you know, and Jacob Peterson, and um, get to hear you guys, and then getting on national broadcasts as well is is just it's awesome. So um, that'll lead me into my next question. Then, um, as far as commentating goes, who were some of your um, influences, both? broadcasting in general because I know you've got a wide base uh, um, basketball and football and and baseball but but also in the soccer world who are the guys that you listen to who you communicate with on a regular basis to try and hone the craft
1: well I I was um, Bob Costas was my hero growing up I thought he was the best play-by-play guy in the business and I loved how he could do every sport and he could do desk stuff and he could do play-by-play and he could do radio shows and and uh he was always prepared for all of it so he was always kind of the guy that i looked up to the most um i was a i listened to denny matthews and fred white doing royals baseball games those were the two guys really that that made me decide i I think i wanted to be a a play-by-play guy because they told me stories every night uh that helped me help me fall asleep when i was having nightmares and things like that you know um, I was a big Bob Davis fan, obviously. Um, you know, he was, and I was lucky enough to get to work with him for almost 14 years. Um, you know, as a part of the football broadcast at KU, which was really a thrill for me, Ryan LaFever was a huge influence on me. He was my biggest mentor when I first started in the business and really helped guide me through, uh, an industry that I had in, I had no contacts in whatsoever. I mean, I came into this thing, I, I was an absolute nobody. And, um, he really helped me figure out like, you know, how to carry. He, he taught me how to carry myself, how to approach people, how to, uh, you know, s- just make good decisions, all these things. He was just a big time mentor for me when it comes to soccer, the guys that I learned how to call games from were the Celtic TV announcers, honestly, because that's who I watched all the time. And so it was funny because I, I, I remember when I first started calling the sporting games, you know, you get feedback from people on social media and, and I would hear from people saying that I was, a uh, sounded like a euro poser i was trying to sound like a british guy because i was using all this terminology uh that they used in scotland but that was just because that's what i had been watching you know i've been watching a ton i mean i watched every celtic game for five years before i started calling sporting games and that those were the words that i knew how to describe things and um it was funny because we have a guy that works at the sporting broadcast now named connell mccord who's a diehard celtic fan and that's how i met him and he's from northern ireland And when he introduced himself to me the first time at a game and he was in the stands as a fan and he said, I can't do his accent, you know, but he said, you know, you really know your stuff. I can tell you really know the game. I was surprised at how well you understood the game. Well, it was because he thought I knew my stuff because I was talking the same way the Celtic announcers talked. Yeah, I used the right terminology in his mind. Um, So those guys, I mean, that's really. And then I watched a ton of English Premier League games and I would listen to those announcers. But um, I would say the guy that's really helped guide me the most in terms of understanding the landscape of soccer broadcasting in the United States is John strong. Um, I, I um, the games I've gotten to do for Fox. I mean, here's a funny story for you. I, I had never even really considered getting to do any national stuff. I was just trying to figure it out if I could be any good at calling soccer games. And in my second or third year on the job, I was spending some time with Benny Failhaber. and Benny go, would go back and watch all the games you know, I mean, he was, he's one of those fans. He, when he played, he would go back and watch all the games and he would, he pulled me aside one time and said, Hey, how come you're not doing any national stuff? And I was like, I'm sorry. And he said, well, I watch these national games and I think you're as good as a lot of those guys. How, how come you're not doing any of those games? And I was like, well, I don't know, man. I'm, I, I hadn't even really considered putting, putting myself out there like that. I, I don't even, I'm trying to just prove that I can do this job. And he said, well, you shouldn't sell yourself short. You know, um, I had somebody teach me that back when I was playing. And that's I never dreamed of being a World Cup kind of player. But it was actually uh, Vincent Company that told me I I shouldn't sell myself short. That I was good enough to play in the World Cup. And uh, you're good enough to be a national guy. You should try it. Well, I didn't even know where to start. You know, I didn't know who to call or anything like that. So I called John Strong because I had gotten to know him when he had been in town calling some games. And he said, well, call this guy, call Shaw Brown, call a few guys, and they'll really help you. And he's just been a great advisor ever since. And um, so that was, uh, I mean, looking back on it, it was like, wow, well, uh, you know, and, and I don't know where it'll take me, but I've got a chance to do a few games, you know, and I, you know, I, you, I never know when Fox is going to call me and ask me to do another game or anything like that, but but I'll no matter what the rest of my life say, I made it to the network, you know, I got to I got to do some games out there. And it was because of Benny Failhaber planting the seed. And and, and honestly, because the guys like, you know, and that's when it's cool is when you find guys like John Strong that uh, that that are they don't see you as a threat. And obviously, John Strong doesn't have any reason to worry about me. He's such a great play by play guy himself. But, you know, a lot of guys do they get they, they're not going to help you out. Um, and, and John's always like been super helpful to me, um, giving me great advice. Every time he's given me advice along the way, it's been spot on. Um, and, uh, and so I really, he's, he's, he's a guy I just have an immense amount of respect for amongst a lot of really good play by play guys in this league, by the way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we, we hinted at it early on, um, this idea that there are calls, that become <laughs> iconic.
1: And, you know,
0: you've got your um Martin Tyler, Aguero, you've got just about anything um that uh, Peter Drury says prior to a game, just like <laughs> poetry in motion. Yeah. Um yeah, just there's some there's some great ones uh, out there. But amongst their Mount Rushmore of calls, there is Nate Nebucadeem, Graham Zucy for president what what was going through your mind in that moment um, when he hits that it hits the back of the net and you're just like are you thinking in that moment about this could be iconic this is this is a wow. moment my commentary needs to match it or like what's going through your mind
1: so you know I I, I think the story behind it might might disappoint people a little bit to be perfectly honest um, <laughs> I have, my own you know every play by play announcer has their own approach to things um and some guys have their calling card you know this they they have something that they say whenever a big moment happens and um, i respect that um but i've never come up with something that i felt like was good enough first of all to have and and number 2 especially when it comes to soccer i don't like to have that because a goal in soccer is such a unique moment in time. There's, there's just, you know, each they're, they're so precious and so rare that there's all kinds of, they, they mean something different. Um, And I'll give you an example. They, they mean, I mean, they mean something to the team. They mean something to the fans. It means something to the player that scored it to the team that it's to the team that scored it to the team that it was scored against. Um, And it could, it could have context in, the overarching storyline of the season, the the overarching storyline of the player's career or this chapter in his career or this moment in the game, you know, all those things. Could, and, the, and, and you never know what those contextual moments are until the goal gets scored. And it's hard to know when a goal is going to happen, right? Like, yeah, when Graham has the ball outside the penalty area and he sets up, you better be ready, right? Like there's times when you try to read the cues that, okay, something could happen here, but I'll give you one. Like to me, a, a goal call that I, that I f- felt was, was better than that one. And it's more simple. I don't know if you remember Jean uh, Jean-luc Busio scored a free kick goal. Um, that was kind of like, to me, uh, like his announcement of like, look at me. I'm not just a player on this team, but I'm one of the best young players in this league and, I'm going to go do big things in my career. And I, I think I said something like, uh, you know, a touch of class from the 19-year-old and just listen to this stadium erupt. And to me, it was like because it, it meant something to the fans as much as it did to Busio. Um, and, and and like to me, it was like this this goal needs to – we need to understand what what just happened here. Uh, this was a 19-year-old that just sc- scored this world-class free kick, and the fans went bonkers for it because they understand what they just saw. That's to me like as a play-by-play guy. I want to capture that in a in a short, concise sentence when that moment happens because I do want that to get played back in the stadium. You know, when they play the psych up video for the fans, and and I want to be a part of those moments. That's the thrill of doing my job, um, and so. The, the, but the scary part of that is if you don't have something that's just in your back pocket that you're gonna say anytime somebody scores, you're left with whatever comes out of your mouth in the moment and you don't know what kind of goal is going to get scored. you know it could be a dribbler that bounces off somebody's back and rolls into the goal. It could be this wonder class goal like you just don't know and and so I think that's why a lot of broadcasters probably like having something because then it's just I'm gonna say this. But what I don't like about that personally is, well, then that's the same as every other goal. And they're not – all those goals are different, you know. But so the scary part is – so when Graham Zusi scored that, that just came out of my mouth. I mean, it was literally just Graham Zusi for president because I just – it was just – I don't know. It just – and here's the thing. Um, that's not an original line. Mitch Holtis said that in 1997 – when Pete Stoyanovich kicked a field goal that bounced off the uprights and went through, and I was driving back from Little Rock, Arkansas, watching that on TV, or I was in a car. I'm sorry, listening on a radio, and and when I heard him say that, and I thought that's one of the coolest calls I've ever heard in my life, and I never, and this is the odd, God's to honest truth, I never intended to copy that. Um, that that's that line always stuck out in my mind. Is like, oh my gosh, that's one of the greatest calls I've ever heard. And, and I'm, you know, Mitch does this incredible job. I would never try to steal from somebody else, you know? Um, and it just came out of my mouth. And as soon as it did, we actually have a video of it because our, our, uh, video crew was, was profiling me and and our broadcast crew that day. I got on the talk back with my producer and said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever said. (laughs) I said something like that. I said, that was so stupid. I said that into the talk back as the crowd was going crazy and everything. And he's just like. You're pathetic, you know, like, I don't think he realized that I, you know, that, that I had, I had copied a line from Mitch Holt from 20 years ago. Um, but, but so I felt really stupid about it and, um, I, I wasn't proud of it or anything. And, uh, and then later that year it's in a freaking world cup commercial and it just keeps getting thrown back in my face over and over and over again. And um, I just kind of finally realized like, I just got to, Hey, you don't get to choose the moments that people remember you for. Um, and, and, and sometimes it's because you had some moment of brilliance and sometimes it's because something goofy just came out of your mouth and people liked it, you know? Um, but I do like anytime anybody ever asks me about it, I make sure to give credit to Mitch. Cause I don't, and Mitch, like, never said anything to me about it. It's not like he was like, hey, man, you stole my line. He might not have even known I did it, you know. I, I don't know if it's on his radar, but it's important to me because I don't want to sit there and claim, like, I, I came up with this moment of brilliance. It just was in the back. It was, like, in the recesses of my mind, and it just came yeah. out of my mouth. And um, – but then it's like, then he keeps scoring goals like that. And then everybody on social media is like, where's the Graham Zusi for president thing? Why did you say Reelect Graham Zuse. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I had to go with the re-elect Graham Zuse last year. Then he scored the one in Nashville and that was on national TV. And I thought, you know, I probably, nobody's going to understand that one, but the fans in Kansas city. So I'm going to hold off on that. But, um, yeah, I mean, there it is. And I, I, Hey, I'm glad people liked it, you know, and I'm glad it was fun and, and, uh, I've learned to not be embarrassed of it anymore and just be happy about it and Uh, be glad that people, you know, remember it, you know?
0: Yeah. I like, yeah, I think extemporaneous is the best way to go with those kinds of calls. I think you're right. Every goal, every moment has its own unique feel. And so the call needs to reflect that. Like, you know, um, I, I, don't get me wrong, Andreas Cantor's goal, you know, like in the moment when he did that or when he was doing that, like, it's iconic but then everybody continues to do that like every other you know broadcaster tries to emulate it and 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 then it doesn't allow you to differentiate between the different moments so like one of my favorite i mean other than graham susie for president which i genuinely got a kick out of in the moment um one of my favorite mls calls is john strong's um, uh, uh For Zlatan in his first El Tráfico, and he's just yeah. like, "Oh, come on!" Like, yeah. just like, yeah. there's no way he planned that because yeah. no one could have expected Zlatan to pull up from you know 50 <laughs> yards and yeah. and just do that. And so those moments stick around. And yeah, like uh, I don't know, I'm not a commentator, so I, I can't uh, imagine what it's like to put oneself out there um, on the broadcast. But those are the best <laughs> moments, like. Surely yeah. Ray Hudson is not like planning um to do whatever that is, <laughs> you know, those those guttural noises that he makes when Leonel Messi does something amazing. Like but yeah. that's that's what makes those moments is you know yeah. magisterial and and yeah. like Martin Tyler's Aguero and the the it perfectly I think the reason that one especially is it perfectly encapsulates that moment. The, the last-second goal to win the league over United, like, and and in that echelon, in that pantheon of calls, is Graham Zusi for president. So, well, um, I don't know about that, but I, <laughs> that's
1: very nice of you to say. <laughs> hey, it was in a World Cup commercial. They can never take that away from us, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly.
0: Well, uh, Nate, I, I won't take up too much more of your time, but I, I wanted to make sure that we uh, got a chance to to talk about. I know we've talked about a little bit about Celtic. But you mentioned Arsenal as well. And I'll be honest with you, um, big fan, always have been. Um, I've loved your broadcast for Sporting Kansas City. I love listening to you call games. But the day that I found out you were an Arsenal fan, it was a hard, (laughs) hard day. Um, (laughs) I I am a Spurs fan and I have been. And so um, anytime I see an Arsenal fan out there, I'm just like, all right, well, There goes any chance of us ever being friends. So, (laughs) but no, what, um, obviously the connection to Thierry Henry, which I mean, even as a Spurs fan, I'm not so, uh, entrenched in my hatred for Arsenal that I can't recognize the greatness that was Thierry Henry. And so I get it, but what about Arsenal kept you? Uh, obviously Thierry left for Barcelona, so he wasn't there, but, uh, was it just banger? Was it the style of play? Was it something else? Like what kept you with Arsenal and what keeps you with Arsenal through the dark days?
1: Well, they certainly (laughs) tested my loyalty over the past several years. There's no doubt about it. I, I, I was a massive Arsene Wenger fan. I mean, I just, I, I really revered Arsene Wenger and the way he carried himself and the, you know, his ideas about the game. Um, But I just, I guess, you know, the last few years I have, I actually – this past year was the first time I've had fun being an Arsenal fan in, in some time because, yeah. honestly, I, I haven't liked the team. Like, I'm, I don't like the guys on the team. I don't like the people running the team. I, um, I'm frustrated with everything. It's not fun to watch them. Um, honestly, there were Spurs teams that I told my buddies. I was like, you know, if I was, an, if I was new to the game, I would be, I'd be a Spurs fan over an Arsenal fan. They're, they're more enjoyable to watch. They have players I like more. Um, but I just can't, like, I can't do it. You know, I, I, I picked my, I cast my lot, you know, and, and I'll say, when you say that, it's actually, it's a great question. The KC Gooners is what's kept me an Arsenal fan because back in 2006, when I started doing this, I became friends with some guys, you know, Boyce Richardson and Davey Colgan, um, being at the top of the list. And we used to bounce around from sports bar to sports, bar. That was back before we had kids, you know, and, and, uh, uh, Davey and I both have kids now, but you know, we, we, we just, we formed these really like deep friendships, um, over a soccer team, but it was like these social hours where we'd get together on a Saturday morning and have a couple beers and watch our team play and talk about the game and, uh, talk about our families, talk about life. And, and, you know, we've started families. Some of us have started families since then and all that stuff. Um, and, uh, and, and that's what it's about more honestly to me than, than the game itself anymore, you know? And I don't get to go now, like now we, we started going to Johnny's. That was the, that became the, the watch party place for the, the KC Gooners. And I used to go all the time before I got so busy with family life, but my Saturday mornings involve going to youth soccer games now and all that stuff. I don't make it down there maybe once or twice a year anymore. Um, but, but every once in a while, if they play a midweek game, I'll get Davy Colgan together and we'll sneak out and go, go, go to a place and watch a game and catch up but um those relations and we but we text each other all game you know like we got this casey Gunner thread and we text each other and we gripe about the team or have fun and um those are my boys now you know what i mean like that's what that's (laughs) what it's about more that's and I, i just can't imagine you know like walking away from those relationships to go cheer for some other team like what's the point you know um, so I'm stuck, you know, whether I like it or not, I'm stuck as a long suffering, suffering arsenal fan. And I don't know if I'm ever going to get to see the team win the champions <laughs> league or even get back into it. I think we might get into it this year. I think we can finish top four, but we'll see.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I genuinely from the bottom of my heart hope that doesn't happen, but I understand. <laughs> um, so the, I'll end on this one, one comparison I want your, your thoughts on. Um, so, I don't post on Reddit very often, but one of the most, uh, I will say, interacted with um, posts in my, in Sporting Kansas City's Reddit thread, not positively all the time, but, but interacted with, I made a comparison and it hurt me to do so to Sporting Kansas City and Arsenal, uh, that the Sporting Kansas City are kind of the arsenal of MLS. You have, you know, the longs, uh, <laughs> the long-standing uh both coach and technical director you know obviously arsenal not so much anymore but when arson was there yeah. um you've got a team who has a, kind of almost a, a stubborn insistence on a certain way of playing you've got a lot of technical ability a lot of belief and philosophy about how the game should be played and then you've got a team who competes at a really high level um and tends to fall just short of the league, but wins cups. And if that doesn't spell Arsenal to me, Mm -hmm. then I don't know what does. So your your gut thoughts, gut reactions to that. Is it heresy?
1: Um, No, I I think there are a lot of similarities. Um, There are differences too, of course. Like no no two things are ever exactly alike. Uh, There are things about... Arson Wenger that I revered that I that I see in common with Peter Vermees and I revere those things as well. Peter's also a different kind of guy than 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 Arson Wenger. Um, <laughs> Peter, you know, Peter is is a is a. I'm trying to think of a a clean word for you know <laughs> the, the, the just type of just no nonsense. He's an MFer, you know, like he's just he he is going to do whatever it takes um, to, he, he fights for everything. I mean, you see it, you see me, you know, if you're, if you're a sporting Kansas city fan, you know, his demeanor is a little different than, than Arson Vangers. Um, uh, and I think that's a good thing long-term because I think after a while, Arson, um, the players kind of started to not respect him as much as they should have. And I think that was a real crime in my opinion. Um, I don't, I just can't imagine I can't imagine Peter Vermees ever, ever not commanding respect. You know, I just can't, I can't see it. Um, And, uh, and so there are some differences and obviously also look, uh, there's economic realities to playing in Kansas city. There's geographical realities to playing in Kansas city that Arsenal doesn't have to deal with. I mean, you know, I, I think that that for Arsenal to underachieve the way they have is, is, is in many ways inexcusable considering where they are, the league they're in, the resources that they have. Uh, and that's not Kansas City. You know, Kansas City, um, I think it's been borderline miraculous what he and the, and the ownership of this town have have yeah, pulled agreed. off uh, when you see the landscape of – and also the, the battles of trying to get players from other countries to want to come to a city they've never heard of before and all that. Um, so, yeah, there are differences. But, no, I, I, I take a lot of – but here's the thing to me. I I think that all those things you just said are a positive, and I know there are some yeah. fans that think there's maybe negatives to that, but I actually think it's actually quite a compliment.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, like I said, it, it pains me to make the comparison, but <laughs> that consi- I mean, you can't argue with what Arsenal's consistency was under Arsene Wenger, and you can't a lot of
1: Arsenal fans were griping about it by the end. And I always told them, hey, be careful what you wish for because you yeah. think it's your birthright to go to the Champions League every year. And it's not. And it's not. And we're seeing that now.
0: Yeah. And and I think there are a lot of Kansas City fans on Reddit who maybe are a little uh, trigger happy and they don't appreciate what PV has uh, has done in Kansas City. It's and not our birthright to, to go to
1: the playoffs every year in Major yeah. League Soccer in a league that makes it that 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 actively makes it hard. When you look at LAFC and how dominant they are this year. Did they make the playoffs last year? I don't think they did. You know, so it's. It's hard.
0: Yeah, and and the consistency is key there. I mean, Mm -hmm. what is it? uh, Nine out of 11 seasons. Ten. Ten out of 11 seasons, yeah, Yeah. um, that he's made the playoffs. And this year, it's been a rough start, but there's every chance that that gets turned around. That's the blessing of this league a little bit is you can have a slow start and and still turn it around. But And Peter, we trust. So um, we'll end it there for today. Uh, Nate, thank you so much for your time. It's been uh, it's been awesome uh, to get to hear your stories and uh, to pick your brain a little bit about the nerdy side of, of commentary and soccer commentary so um i i appreciate it um where in addition to uh, sporting kansas city broadcast can people find you
1: well it, it' not hard to find you know i think it's i think i'm nate underscore Bucati on twitter
0: I want to thank Nate Bukaty once again for being on the show. He was so incredibly generous with his time and his stories. Um, If you're interested in hearing more from Nate, I encourage you to go follow him on Twitter at Nate underscore Bukaty. That's B-U-K-A-T-Y on Twitter. Um, As you can tell, the audio kind of cuts out there at the very end uh, when he's going through that. So if you're interested, please go follow. He's a great follow um, for all things uh, Kansas City, Kansas City Chiefs, soccer in general. Um, In addition, if you're new here, please uh, feel free to uh, leave a rating and a review. That'll help people find us and uh, comment. Let me know what kind of stories that you guys want to hear. What are some of the things about American soccer culture and, and its fandom that you would be interested in getting more information about or hearing stories? That's what we're here to do, is to tell the stories about what this fandom is like, the peculiarities, the fun uniqueness of it. We want to examine it all. So give us an email at gmail.com. Let us know who you'd like to hear. Um, If you've got interesting stories or perspectives, we'd love to talk about that as well. Uh, Once again, that's gmail.com. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week with a very exciting guest. um, And be on the lookout for some things on social media as well so as always peace